Well, welcome back as we head into hour two. It is a delight to be here, as mentioned, with uh, three of my colleagues, three out of uh, five, two of whom couldn't be here. Uh, We want to talk in depth with you today. We often talk about the durables. We have a durable problem that's been getting uh, more and more difficult by bad public policy, and that's the drug overdose or the drug poisoning crisis, as we like to call it, and we'll explain why in a moment. Uh, These three colleagues, along with the two others who couldn't join us, and I uh, started an organization, a nonprofit, that we think we can do something about about this problem, this enduring problem. We think we can turn the tide around. Uh, The stop starts here.org is the website for our organization. We encourage all of you to uh, take a look at it and help out if you are inclined. I uh, will introduce uh, my three in-studio guests all of whom have been on this show many times before, Steve Moak Jr., Jeff Taylor, and, of course, Hugh Hallman, who is usually here on Tuesdays anyway. So it's nice to be joined by uh, Jeff and Steve. We have another friend who helped with uh, the start of this project. He's uh, one of the major victims' rights advocates in our country, blessedly here in Arizona, and, of course, our other friend, Ashley. And uh, they regret they couldn't be here, but uh, we couldn't do it without them either, and I just wanted to give them the appropriate uh, props. We'll also be happy to take any calls at 602-508-0960. To kick this off, just let me lay two pieces of groundwork, if I might. In 1979, we had what was known as the worst year of drug use in this country, and uh, that was when we had about 14 0.1% of the population regularly using illegal and dangerous drugs. And everyone in this field knew that 1979 was the worst year. People say you can't do anything about it, you have to live with it, that every project or every program that tries to curb drug use or drug abuse is a failure. It's not true. This country rolled up its sleeves and got into serious prevention work through all kinds of social messaging, through all kinds of media messaging, athletic uh, associations, Hollywood, politicians. They all got in the game. And son of a gun, in 13 years, we reduced the problem by over 60%. For anyone who says you can't do anything about this, not only can you, we did. And then we let up. And a lot of things changed, and a lot of those programs stopped, and a lot of the uh, intellectual attitude about it changed as well. So slowly and surely, the problem got worse and worse and worse. Last year, we beat 1979. We now have greater regular illegal and dangerous drug use now than we did at the high water mark of 1979. Last thing I'll say, just to give you a sense of the scale, the enormity of it. In 1992, when we got to our low Mark when we got it down by over 60%. We were losing about 5,000 Americans a year to overdose deaths or drug poisoning deaths. 5,000 Americans a year in a country of about 240 million people. We're now a country of just over 330 million people, and last year we lost 110,000 Americans. Here's what that means that means as the country grew by 33%, drug poisoning deaths grew by over 2,000%. Someone needs to do something about it. We think we can because we're going to replicate what we used to do when we could and did do something about it. So I want to thank you three for being here and joining this project with us. And uh, I'll I'll start with you, Steve Moak, Jr. You might have been the second person I called on this, but we won't (laughs) worry about order. A little bit about you and why you're involved and interested, and then we'll 
take it over to Jeff and Hugh and begin the conversation in earnest. Seth, as always, thank you so much for having me on the show. And, and honestly, let's make sure we give you credit for reaching out to this team and helping kick this entire project off. And I am so excited about what we're doing. Here's something I still can't get used to hearing or let alone saying over the airwaves of Phoenix, Arizona. My name is Steve Moke. I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict, right? You know, when middle school, when you'd come in and you'd have career day and what do you want to be and things like that, I don't remember anybody in my middle school class saying that they wanted to be sitting here announcing that over the airwaves and they wanted to be working in the behavioral health field. But I can't tell you a more important job to be doing right now, given where we're at as a country, where this crisis is. This is personal to me. There is a fire that kind of burns because we can keep building more beds. We can keep building more treatment centers. We can keep building more outpatient programs. But until we start addressing youth, kids earlier, we're just going to keep filling those up with sick people. And that's why I am so, so excited about this prevention effort and what we're doing and how we're doing it and using social media to target youth and parents. Thank you. Jeff, you want to say a word or two about your involvement here? The audience knows your story well, but it wouldn't be a bad idea to just reprise the highlights and lowlights. I was just sitting here pondering. Thank you, Mr. Liebson, for having us here today. It's always a pleasure. Uh, when Steve was talking about the, you know, that they did not aspire young people to end up as, as unfortunately, Steve did and as I did. So I was just going to ask, Steve, you didn't go to the repeat drug offender booth in high school? <laughs> I missed that one. <laughs> it was in every uh, bathroom, in fact. <laughs> Uh, and, and then I just want to take a step further what you said, Seth, about uh, then we let up. And I would even take it a step further on prevention in the 90s after such such success is that we gave up. Mm-hmm. We really gave up. And then it became a kind of a monetized engine of recovery, yeah. you know, of recovery programs, some of which I deal with families. So I, I deal with a lot of families that are suffering with addiction. I work in public policy down at the legislature. I am blessed to be uh, involved in a lot of positive change uh, in our criminal justice system when it comes to behavioral health. And I'm impassioned by this because I was removed from the criminal justice pathway, which was very key to my recovery. That needed to be a part of my recovery as I needed a consequence. And that's what we're not seeing in places like San Francisco, Oakland. I've been to both. Oakland is worse. I've been to Oregon. I've been to Honolulu. And these communities and, and, and states really have really given up on the consequence part. Addicts understand consequences. And that's why I'm here today in, on this radio show and the work that I do is that I suffered a consequence. And then I was offered you know, a pathway to help. And what I do with that pathway is up to me. We can offer a consequence and help. And if people don't grasp onto that, then they are a danger to our society. I think it's a great point that consequences matter. And I think it's another thing that children understand powerful messaging. As addicts understand consequences, children need a powerful message. And it works with prevention in almost every field that we try it in. We've done it with cigarette smoking. We've done it, my gosh, how many ads do we hear on this show about forest fires? We've reduced forest fires tremendously with the prevention efforts there. Mothers Against Drunk Driving is a model. Uh, Iron Eyes Cody, the Indian crying. People forget that we used to just throw trash out the cars when we were driving by. So what we have decided to do is put together a program where we're going to be targeting on social media children with very strong 
very strong messaging. Mr. Hallman, tell us about yourself and your interest in this. Well, I, I got brought to the party, of course, because of you, Seth, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. But as you know, I have a passion for this same subject because I've had a brother who was a crystal meth addict. I've had a niece who became addicted to drugs and ultimately committed suicide as a result of being sex trafficked. Uh, I've had students who have uh, committed suicide uh, intentionally or accidentally through drug poisoning. All of that informs the reason I'm sitting here, because we've watched our society go from, as you like to talk about it, the dialectic model here, where we first uh, started to tolerate uh, having drug addiction throughout our country. Then we've started to say that what's going on wasn't happening, but now it's happening, but it's okay. And worse, we're now mandating it. Why do I say mandating it? Because we have officials in major cities in this country handing out what they call harm reduction materials, which are drug paraphernalia so that addicts can get high at the hands of these officials. That's truly mandating this state of affairs. And that's the policy issue we need to uncover. All, all of us here, every one of us in this room, have tragic stories associated with direct and personal uh, uh, consequences of drug addiction from uh, ourselves or members of our family. And we are here to spread that word that if you're listening, ladies and gentlemen, you're not alone. Every single family is being touched by this, deeply touched by this. And yet most of us operate in these little silos, ashamed of what's happening. That's why to have somebody like Steve Moak Jr. sit here and say, I am a recovering drug addict is crucially important to be heard. Because this young man has done amazing things with his life. And yet he's willing to tell people, this is where I was. And if you're there, there is a way to get out. If your family member is there, there is a way to go out, get out. But it is not by coddling. It is not by enabling. It is not by rewarding this behavior. It is by applying the right consequences to help people move toward the light. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Steve. We'll take a quick commercial break. We'll come right back and we'll talk about how we can prevent them from even ever having to have Steve's or Jeff's story or the stories of those in Hugh's family or for that matter, mine. And sadly, too many I'm suspecting of you in the audience. Happy to take your calls as well. 602-508-0960. The stop starts here.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Steve Moak Jr., Jeff Taylor, and Hugh Hallman in studio with me. Three out of uh, six of us uh, started a project. You can check it out at thestopstartshere.org. We're serious and impactful drug prevention messaging. You gentlemen said something so um, on so many fronts in the last segment. I wanted to say a word about what you were focusing on, Hugh, when you were talking about government agencies that are giving away drug paraphernalia under the notion of either safe use or harm reduction. You know, um, a lot of people still don't, you would think, and this would surprise many, but it's true, still don't know what fentanyl is. Those of us who work in these fields know what it is because we hear about it all the time. But the Arizona Youth Survey, for example, showed that 40% of our teenagers have never heard of fentanyl. Our aim is to instruct on that as well. But when it comes to this deadly drug, fentanyl, which is killing over 80,000 Americans a year, most of them under the age of 50, it's the number one killer of young adults, by the way, not COVID, it's drugs. Um, when it comes to fentanyl, 
Think about what that paraphernalia giveaway means when we're giving away the pipes and uh, other, other, other appurtenances for drug use. It means we're giving away the most expensive part of it when a fentanyl pill costs only a dollar. We're giving away, we are making it easier and easier to use drugs under the name of public health. And instead of saying, how about we help you if you are addicted, or how about you don't start? We're now seeing signs in major cities sponsored by organizations or departments calling themselves departments of public health that have big banner ads and big ad campaigns saying, if you're going to use, start slowly and do it with friends. I can't think of anything more maddening than that. I can't think of anything more insane than that. I can't think of anything more wanting to have an organization turn in their name as a Department of Public Health than that. Is that what Mothers Against Drunk Driving said? Did they say, if you're going to drink and drive, make it just a beer, or maybe have a cheeseburger after you or before you drink and drive? Is that what we did with cigarettes? Did we think that it was a good idea to uh, tell people, if you're going to smoke, don't smoke a pack a day, just smoke half a pack a day? No. That's where the good news comes and what is part of the magic of our organization and the messaging we're going to do, because it's a wonderful piece of research I want people to know. If you can get your child to the age of 21 without initiating dangerous and illegal drug or substance use, get them to the age of 21, the chances they'll ever start are practically zero. It's our aim when we say to get to your child before the drug dealer does, that's our aim, to educate youth and adults. Jeff, you want to say something about any of this? Because you have toiled in these worlds where in communities you do have to deal with departments of public health that are advertising this lie of safe use. And just, again, to add to what you said, Seth, the the message, you know, is to use safely, use with friends. But look at the visual that they put up there, a bunch of smiling people like they're all all partying. And it reminds me of seeing some of the videos, which there are many, which needs to be, you know, put on a much broader media base of the uh, trank epidemic in in the West Coast or on the East Coast, which is now showing up, I understand, on the West Coast. Yeah. That is a horse tranquilizer that actually extends the high from fentanyl. And, it, of course, it's very cheap, very powerful, and it, and it paralyzes people, paralyzes them standing up, mm-hmm. bent over, slumped over. And I look at these videos today or of, you know, uh, any place in California, you know, in a homeless district or a chronically homeless district, is that I look at them and I think they were in grade school at one time. Mm-hmm. They were in high school at one time. Mm-hmm. Where was the messaging? Because a lot of the people there, you know, maybe were in grade school or in high school when we gave up on prevention. Mm-hmm. And it just breaks my heart because... We talk a lot about death, and we should talk a lot about death. But I deal with families every day, literally hundreds of calls over the last probably four or five years of their marvelously talented children where they have been robbed of their dreams and dashed of their passions. And it it is such an attack on our youth to rob them of their dreams. You know, the youth are very passionate about a lot of things and, and sometimes a little misguided when they get into the 13 to the 16-year-old. But I love the passion and the exuberance of youth that is being robbed. Yeah. And it breaks my heart. Yeah. 
Steve, anything you want to add to any of this notion of safe use? You have a podcast called The Unlicensed Counselor because you're going up against some of this industry, right? Well, I had an amazing guest on last week as well, too. Uh, my first guest, Mr. Seth Leeson. So thanks again for that. You know, just to piggyback on Jeff's point, you know, I, I came across, you know, some type of concept or campaign that was talking about kids being, you know, forever 16, right? And it was a girl referenced a girl at a party who smoked a joint that was laced with fentanyl, right? Something that and it seems innocuous when parents would hear that, but now she's forever 16. And that's really resonated and stuck out in my head. And I have a three-year-old daughter. She's sitting out in the lobby, and like I just couldn't even imagine what that could possibly feel like. So that's why the message of prevention, I, wanted, I want us to get to more of that girl's classmates. And I want to get there sooner. I want to get there bolder. And prevention works. I mean, Seth, I, can, I brought some statistics just on what we've started. I don't know if you want me to dive into it. I won't go through every single one of them, but we are just sticking our toe into the prevention waters. And let me tell you, we have struck a nerve. There is an appetite for prevention that is out there. In the three weeks that we've kind of done this, this rolling launch, just on Facebook alone, we've reached over 250,000 people with some of our concepts. If you go to the stopstartshere.org, look at our content, go to the gallery. I mean, this is compelling stuff, not just don't say no and boring old messages, right? We're meeting kids where they're at with edgy, bold, raw content that is really resonating. On Instagram alone, we're over 97,000 people reached in the last two weeks. We are seeing tens. I have, let's see, our video count is being at 10, 13, 19,000, 10,000. These are the types of numbers. And again, we're just rolling this out. I mean, we haven't even put our message out to the world. People are consuming the content that we're putting out there and the feedback that we're getting on social media and the followers that we're getting is really important. And, And I'll tell you why is there's an old kind of model of prevention. It's an organization that goes out and does an assembly one type a year or one time a year and they have somebody come in and talk about the dangers of drugs. That's all fine and good. I think that we need to adjust that model. And that's why I think if I can get 15 to 30 seconds of your son or daughter's time once, twice a week for the rest of the year and years to follow with prevention messaging, that's how we're going to really, you know, put our message out to the world and saturate it that prevention works it is effective and there is no such thing as safe drug use that's the right word saturate we want to saturate social media with these messages because you're right uh an assembly is a good thing anything is a good thing we'll 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 refuse and turn down no auxiliaries in the help to save our children's minds brains souls and lives but uh, if I were to uh, analogize, it's like teaching someone to speak French or Italian or German or any foreign language. You can't do it with one class, one time a year. You can't do it with three classes, three times a year. You have to saturate, and we're in the saturation business. Mr. Hallman, when we come back, I want to talk about how it's not just fentanyl, though that seems to be the drug of the moment that people do talk about it when they do talk about it, because we're talking about a whole range of issues here and a holistic view of dangerous and illegal drug use that can affect a child's and a family's lives. When we come back, we'll talk more about all of this. The stopstartshere.org is the website. We'll be right back. One of our uh, co-founders with the stopstartshere.org is a big uh, Bob Dylan fan, so I'll just point out that that Johnny Cash song was written by Bob Dylan. Um, Hugh Hallman, uh, you have been involved in a lot of different fields, including education. Um, And for those that do pay attention to the drug poisoning crisis in this country, they hear almost exclusively about fentanyl. Our view is that obviously that is the biggest problem right now. 
But it seems like every five years, it's either a whack-a-mole game or it's, if you imagine a balloon you push down on one side, it expands on another. Do you want to address how it's not just the fentanyl crisis, though it is also the fentanyl crisis? Yes, and I'm going to divert for just a second because I want to touch on Steve's point. We are trying to reach out through this organizational effort to message to children and their parents and grandparents Mm -hmm. about the dangers of any use of these illegal and destructive drugs. Why? Because our society has for many, many years now been reinforcing the absolute wrong message. Did uh, anybody watch, I don't know, a, a show about a teacher who became a producer of crystal meth, right? Uh, Breaking Bad. Great show. Problem is, it lionizes people who are in the manufacture of crystal methamphetamine. We're cheering for the drug dealer. We're cheering for the drug dealer. That's a very subtle example. Now, I like the show, but I also had to live with the reality that my brother was a crystal meth addict for 15 years and very destructive for my family. We have got to go out and change the messaging, and it doesn't make us a bunch of prudes. It make us, makes us those people who understand the destruction that is happening to our children and our society from this failure to hold the standards. Back to your monologue in the first hour, that this society has standards that are worth upholding. It doesn't make us a bunch of prudes. It doesn't make us a bunch of goofballs. It makes us people who understand the consequences. And here's the, the last piece before I get to your point that we have this notion of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that that is providing a tolerance for all kinds of activities that otherwise are not accepted generally in the society. And it is being used as a message of tolerance. And I will tell you there's a very important reason that it is stated as diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because if you state it the proper order, diversity, inclusion, and equity, it spells die, and that is what we are causing to happen by having so many people receive a message that is this destructive under the guise of being hopeful and inclusive. We cannot screw the message up this badly. And so I'm grateful to this team of people for fixing that message. Now on to the main point you were trying to get me to make. As a, as a teacher... As an educator, as a parent, as the brother of a crystal meth addict, I became very engaged in this subject 30 years ago, much too late, frankly, because I watched too many young people have their dreams destroyed as a result of drugs or alcohol. And the problem we face is you'll see now the advertisements talking about we've got to be watchful of fentanyl. Well, a decade ago, it was not fentanyl, it was meth and meth offshoots that were being sold as glass cleaner and plant food. In every one of those places you see that says it's a smoke shop, they're selling this stuff for five bucks to rot kids' brains out and get them hooked on stuff just as this happened here. And it keeps changing. It is whack-a-mole. So it is crucially important that we let every child in this state know that they really shouldn't use fentanyl intentionally. And they need to know that most of the other stuff that's out there is now being laced with fentanyl. So when you're handed a pill at a party that looks like candy or you're handed a joint, there is some decent risk that it is also laced with fentanyl that can kill you. That's what we have to deal with here. And this is going to continue to change because it was 12 years ago now that I had to alert our state's newspaper that they were failing to cover the new series of drugs that were out on the street at five bucks a hit. 
They thought I was nuts and then did the research, called me back six months later. And as a politician, I'm always afraid when my phone shows that it's an Arizona Republic reporter. I'm sure it's the latest breaking news of what I've screwed up. But in fact, it was a reporter to thank me that we had started the process of covering it. But we must continue that effort because every single day somebody is trying to provide a new drug to a new bunch of kids because it's about the dollar. They're making money at lives expense for our young people. And that's what we are fighting against. And so thank you to this group of people for working on these efforts, getting the messaging to overcome the bad messages where we have reinforced the worst behaviors of our society and done so pretending we're being tolerant. If we're successful, we'll take a quick commercial break and come back and speak a little bit more about all this. If we're successful, We're not going to be here in five years having to have this conversation. But if we're not successful, we won't be talking about fentanyl. Look up the drug Jeff talked about, Trank. Look up Xylazine. You heard about it on this show first six or eight months ago in a conversation between the two of us. Right. It was in Delaware and Pennsylvania, and now it's on the West Coast. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Check us out at thestopstartshere.org. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am joined by several of my colleagues from uh, the StopStartsHere.org, serious, impactful, unapologetic drug prevention messaging. That's what we're about. And we're talking about all the reasons for it and all the ways we are going to be doing it and have already started doing it. You heard those numbers from Steve Moak Jr. earlier. Jeff, you know... People, as they tend to think of drugs in a certain silo, the way Mr. Hallman was talking about them a few moments ago, they also think of the drug problem in its own silo when it's not. We talk about issues on this show uh, every day. We talk about things like the homeless problem. We talk about things like violent crime. God knows the nation goes into a, a, a hair on fire every time there's a school shooting. Uh, We talk about education deficits and dropouts. You want to get to any of these things, you want to be looking at this issue. You talk to county attorneys and district attorneys, and you ask them what percentage of their violent crime arrests are people who are hopped up on drugs or regular drug users. They'll tell you between 80 and 90 percent. You take a look at the homeless, chronic homeless problem that you're so expert at. We're talking about a population, 90 percent of which is Uh, a drug-using population. You talk about the dropout crisis. You talk about education deficits. We're talking children who have already got drug problems. You talk about departments of children's services and child removal and parental abuse. You're talking about 80% of those cases involve drugs. You talk about school shootings. Almost every single one of them is a child whose brain and soul have been wrecked by drugs. Talk to me a little bit about the criminal side of this and what you wanted to say about an interesting idea that kind of went awry. It, I was just thinking, and it, it, it's important to note for everyone that we educate is that the cartels are attacking this country and they have the money to buy the best chemists on the planet. And that means that It's now fentanyl. Maybe it's xylazine next week. It's going to be something else. And it is an attack. It is an absolute attack. It is a clear and present danger to the security of the United States. This is the way I view this. And I just got off the phone with a good friend of mine at Department of Child Safety. And we talked about what is coming 
on child removals. Try to parent a child, an infant child, when you're taking 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 fentanyl pills a day. Let's talk about addiction in kind of a, uh, from the addict's point of view. And, you know, as being, and I, I call myself a former addict because I believe that, that God has the power to remove anything that I am willing to give up. Now, it took a lot of work, but I don't white knuckle it every day. My friend Steve next to me here, he doesn't white knuckle it every day because we have surrendered. And in my case, God has removed this from me. But there are upper people and there are downer people. Steve and I were upper people. You know, alcohol was not attractive to me. Um, the opiates were not real attractive to me. In that same class are Valium and uh, other benzodiazepines, Ativan, which these fentanyl pills are being sold as. Those are the downer people. Upper people are crystal methamphetamine and cocaine. Well, guess what the shift is right now at the border? Talk to anybody in law enforcement and ask how much crystal methamphetamine is being interdicted, not only not at the border, but also in this country that has come across the border, is cheap, powerful methamphetamine. Last year, I talked to one of our uh, rather more respected county sheriffs, and he said that their interdictions on crystal methamphetamine are up 500% in the last two years. So they've addicted the people that are attracted to downers. Now they're going after the people that are attracted to upwards. This is an attack. So in you know, my many years at the Arizona Capitol of you know, working on public policy and drug policy, we thought it was a good idea to come up with a what was called the Good Samaritan Law a few years ago, and it changed policy. And what it did was gave immunity to someone who was experiencing an overdose to that person if they called or if their friend called, then it granted immunity to that person also. So the caller and the person overdosing were granted immunity. And the idea behind this was is that people were afraid and people would, would die because they were afraid of law enforcement showing up and arresting you know, the person overdosing and the person. And, and we saw it in emergency rooms where people would just dump a body and then drive off. Well, I just got off the phone with a good prosecutor friend of mine. And she told me a heartbreaking story. He said that this person had been given immunity, was overdosing under the Good Samaritan law, and there was no interdiction at that point. It was just immunity. The person then was granted immunity a second time. A friend had called, and again, the friend was offered immunity, and the person was overdosing, and they brought the person back when the EMT showed up on both occasions. And she said, and the third time, and I just got this call, is we found him dead. So really the Good Samaritan Law, as written in its current form, enabled this young person, because there was no interdictions along the way, um, to help them. It was just an immunity. Enabled him right into the grave. And that's heartbreaking. You know, part of the... um Part of the idea behind our prevention work at the stopstartshere.org, and I want people to go to that website and see what we're up to, and I'll have Steve talk about what we can do for parents as well, what we are doing for parents as well. 
is we want to not only get to the child before the drug dealer does, we want to prevent an ambulance having to show up. We want to prevent an ED or an emergency department or emergency room visit. A lot of people talk about, for example, the importance of dispensing Narcan at our schools and in um, even dispensaries available to the public. And I suppose it's a good idea. I don't have a particular problem with it. But if we think that that's going to solve the problem, it's the ambulance at the end of the car wreck. And sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't. And it won't affect all drugs. It won't touch xylazine or trank, the zombie drug, the thing that eats into your skin and freezes you standing up. It won't touch that because it's not an opioid. But, you know, it seems to me the project these days is an after-the-fact project. And it seems to me it's almost as if we're telling people, as my old boss Bill Bennett put it, that um, you can go play in the snake pit just as long as you take the anti-venin with you. What we're saying is put up a sign in front of that snake pit and say, don't play here. And in the meantime, kill as many of those snakes as you possibly can to make not only our children's lives less tempting to go and have problems where you will need to try and use Narcan. And what we're finding with Narcan, by the way, with repeat users, is that they're needing higher and higher doses. It's going to fail at some point. Enough with the ambulances. Let's prevent the ambulance from showing up. Stephen, we come back. Let's have you say something about what we're helping to do with parents. Yes. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I've got my colleagues who've agreed to stay with us. We're going to talk about this into the next hour as well. And happy to take your call, 602-508-0960. My colleagues from the StopStartsHere.org uh, website um, that uh, contains a lot of different materials, including all the videos we're surging into social media. But Steve, parents need uh, help, too. They're pulling their hair out on this, and we aren't forgetting them either, are we? No, not at all. And in fact, they play maybe the most important role in this entire thing. And yes, we do edgy, bold content. Follow us at Hard Stop Official. You know, cost you nothing. Like, share, retweet, all that fun stuff. But but we got together and when we were launching this and said, we need to provide some take-home value to parents. We get asked, I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room, get asked, well, what do we do? How do we do this? Yes, we understand prevention is important, but what do we actually do? How do we have these conversations? If you go to the stopstartshere.org, we actually created a document. It co- it, we literally are not charging for this or anything. We want it in the hands of as many parents around this entire country as possible. We're calling it the Parents Prevention Playbook, right? It's six steps on exactly how to start talking to your kids about prevention, right? Go to our website, find it, download it. I mean, this is important stuff. We're giving you literally step-by-step instructions on how to kick off these conversations, what to expect, what to say. And I think it's really a document that all families should have. Download it, sit down, and talk about. And I, and by the way, I'm not talking middle school. I'm talking middle. I'm, I am talking middle school. Did I say that right? You aren't talking high school. There you go. That's what I was going for. I'm talking about. Let's get to these kids at middle school because by the time they're finding out, parents are finding out about their kids using drugs. It's typically about 12 to 18 months. Later, an age of initiation is younger and younger now, That's too, depending correct. on the drug. It's you looking can. about seventh grade, right? Right. So, if you're thinking, "Hey, it's something we're going to start talking about when we go into high school," I'm not saying don't, but I am saying start thinking a little bit earlier. And I'd love to see middle school be that target where you start having these conversations with your son or daughter. 
So we've got several prongs here with the StopStartsHere.org or the Hard Stop campaign uh, on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media outlets. We're uh, aiming our ads at our youth uh, and our young adults, uh, but we're also giving materials to parents and strategies for parents to help get their kid to the age of 20 to get their kid to the age of 21 so that they never do start. If they don't start before the age of 21, the problem will – it, it, it's, it's as practically a good guarantee as you can find from research that was done by Joe Califano at Columbia University and Robert L. DuPont at the Institute for Behavioral Health. You get a child to the age of 21 without initiating the use of a dangerous and illegal drug, the chances they'll ever have an addiction problem are practically zero. We'll talk more about it and take your calls in the next hour. My uh, team – uh, is uh, willing to stay here. There are no greater experts. If you have questions about any of this, if you have questions you think you may have a problem, you have questions about problems you have had or problems you do see coming, you read the obituary section anymore, folks? It's an interesting thing. You now see teens and 20s and 30s and 40s because this issue is the number one killer of young adults. The stop starts org. Help us out. Help us get the message to as many people as possible. We're going to turn this around. We'll be right back.